Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Ben, any updates from the quarantine? Yeah, uh, we just got notified yesterday or the day before that the Virginia governor has shut down schools for the rest of the year. It's not that much of a surprise, but it is final now. Yeah, seems like everything's shutting down for the foreseeable future. The <laughs> spread of the virus is uh, really not slowing. And uh, even mm-hmm. if it does start to slow, all that does is indicate that we need to keep doing what we've been doing to uh, keep our healthcare system from being overrun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had to go in for an emergency root canal the other day. Whoa. And yeah, and uh, I was in like a lot of pain. And um, <laughs> does that mean you have a cavity in your root? I don't even know. What yeah, that means, it just actually. means that you, the, the cavity got deep enough that it like, got to the root oh. or your your tooth basically died it was actually a tooth that i had a crown on already mm. and apparently what happens is they sometimes just die like your tooth just dies and so mm. then it gets like infected and then it starts to hurt like a lot and mm. I, I needed to go in for like an emergency you know dental surgery yeah and i immediately was feeling the you know importance of keeping things keeping this virus under control the dentist already was only seeing one patient at a time, you know, mm-hmm. so that no, normally they got multiple chairs going and, you know, they can prep people at the same time as they're working on other people. But it was much harder to get the appointment, it took longer to get the appointment, you know, and mm-hmm. then everybody in there is like on red alert about not getting the virus. And it was just like, man, can you imagine people who have any other health issue? Like people trying to get their cancer yeah. treatments or their dialysis or mm. just normal like heart attacks. Um, I mean, any anybody who ever has to go to the hospitals at all, the danger is that this virus could be overwhelming those hospitals. Um, yeah. It was kind of scary. I went to the big Kaiser Pharmacy hmm. here uh, on Sunset in, in L.A. and uh, – you had to like check in at the desk to get like a special badge to even like go to the, you know, to go to the pharmacy. Yeah. Cause they're, I mean, they're like taking it very, very seriously. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I have great respect for doctors when I see doctors doing that. Um, and basically every doctor that you hear talking about this, uh, they're, they're scared, you know, they're like, yeah, we, we need to keep, uh, really keep doing this. That said, besides the fact that it's scary, uh, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I'm loving the new, like, slower pace of life. Sure. I can't remember if I said this last time or not, but I'm totally digging the lack of having to run around and do things all the time. Yeah. Just like the constant errands, you know, the constant like, oh, well, I need I need that. Mm-hmm. I have to go to the store right now to go get that specific item. Yeah. And it's like, no, you, you really don't. <laughs> you could totally do that tomorrow or not at yeah. all. You just don't need to. You could just calm down and stay at home and relax. So I've been getting lots of writing done and I've been getting lots of hiking done. And, and I'm just feeling very like Zen. I'm, uh, I think I'm, maybe I'm made for this. <laughs> made, I'm made to be quarantined. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I bet a lot of people are. I, I bet it's relieving for many people. 
Yeah. Even though it creates anxiety in others as well. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not feeling the anxiety in the slightest. I mean, I, I it's like it's sad, you know. I I understand that it's really sad and that it, and it and it is like scary that that this could if we don't do the right things it could just like it could go very south and i get it that it's really bad for the economy we actually have some emails today from from people who were impacted already by the downturn in the economy and that all that stuff is of course uh, tragic mm-hmm. but um there can be you know it doesn't have to just be one thing there there's there can be a silver lining, I guess. And for mm-hmm. me, the silver lining is it's just quiet and it's just relaxing. Yeah. I think I'll be changed on the other side of this. I think that my lifestyle will probably change when, when this is mm. all over. Yeah. I think I'm going to be looking for more opportunities to just kind of relax and, and stay home and just sort of be comfortable doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we talked about this like a couple of months ago. Maybe it was the beginning of the year. I was telling you that I want to meditate more. And um, I, I definitely have been meditating a lot more. Hmm. And that's partially what I'm getting out of meditating is just the ability to be okay doing nothing. Well, I do know that meditation has a lot of benefits. I'm curious though, what kind of meditation you're doing. Like, are you, this is guided, I assume? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then when you do a lot of guided meditation, you also find yourself just falling into these, or I, I should say, I find myself falling into these meditative kind of moments where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm, I guess through meditating, I have become a bit more meditative in my normal life where I just find myself like taking a breath and just sort of yeah. being in the moment more, it's extremely calming. Um, so yeah, my I, I just did the Calm app. Like I subscribed to the Calm app, mm-hmm. and I did their uh, thirty days like how to meditate course, which I really liked. That was just ten minutes a day. Mm-hmm. It actually took me like sixty days because I was only doing it every other day. Yeah, but eventually I finished the the 60 the 30 day uh how to meditate course and then now i just basically do the daily calm there's a a, a different guided meditation that comes out every day and, and these are like 10 they're minutes, just 10 minutes 20 minutes 10 minutes 10 minutes yeah but i mean i've had multiple epiphanies like i've had mo- multiple days where my my shit was going in one direction like i was agitated i was mm-hmm. anxious I was angry about whatever. Mm-hmm. And if I just have the, if I just take that, if I just say, Hey, okay, I'm going to sit down right now, put my headphones in, close my eyes. It's only 10 minutes. It's 10 yeah. fucking minutes, dude. Yeah. And on the other side of that 10 minutes, I can't even remember what I was anxious about. I can't even remember what it was that was irritating me. Yeah. It's like a complete shift it's and and i think it it's also like energizing i have i don't feel as tired anymore i don't feel like all this weight on me on the other mm-hmm. side of it i don't know mm-hmm. it's clear i'm like a true believer right it's like super annoying <laughs> i'm like a born again meditator but um i don't know i especially during these times um i highly recommend it to lsat students and law school applicants 
You know, yeah. people who are waiting for their decisions. Mm. What a perfect time to just meditate. Yeah. You're feeling anxious. Harvard waitlisted you. You haven't heard back from them. You know, okay. There's nothing you could do about that. You already sent them your letter of continuing interest, right? Okay. Well, meditate. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all you could do anyway. Yeah. Anyway, today on the show, I know you're a big meditator, Ben. Are you still still doing it? I haven't been doing it a lot lately. I do um, think about it every now and then. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> but you're motivating me to, to give it a try. Well, you've done it enough that you know what kinds of huge benefits it can have, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you've seen that. So it's funny because, I, yeah, I mean, as much as I'm preaching about it, there's lots of days when I don't. And, yeah. and it's like, really, you didn't, you didn't take that 10 minutes? Yeah. Why? Because you were doing, what were you doing? Probably yeah. worrying about something or like <laughs> doing unnecessary things, you know? Yeah. Um, anyhow, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Love to hear what people think about that. Uh, we're help at thinkinglsat.com if you want to holler at us. Most of our agenda items come from our emails from listeners. So again, that's help at thinkinglsat.com. This week, uh, we've got pearls versus turds. It's about reading comprehension. We have uh, a letter from a listener who decided to choose a PhD over law school. Hmm. We have a question about score variation and especially um, it's a hypothesis that someone has that their accommodated scores might be low, might, might vary less than their non-accommodated scores. We can speculate about that a little bit. Okay. We have an email about LSAT and anxiety. I'll probably get back on my soapbox about meditation when we get there. Mm-hmm. We have a letter from a listener who had to cancel their LSAT demon subscription because of the coronavirus. I'm sure the lot, lots of people share that experience. Sadly, we have a couple questions, uh, just about law school admissions decisions, uh, about law school admissions. And both of them happen to mention Georgetown. So we'll do both of those together. Uh, we have a, a question speculating about the inevitable recessions impact on future lawyers. And we have a question about alternate careers oh for 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 me and ben (laughs) basically what we would do if we weren't lsat teachers oh okay yeah cool this will air on monday march 30th uh there was supposed to be an lsat on monday march 30th of course that got canceled the april uh 25th lsat is still as far as we know happening yep but it seems quite likely that they'll end up having to cancel that. If not, they're going to be taking some extreme social distancing measures, which could be fine. I mean, if they tell people in the registration line to stay six feet apart, and if in the classroom they sit people way apart from each other, seems like they should be able to pull it off. But also, how important is it really yeah. You know, in the grand scheme of things, nothing is that important. So, uh, I don't know, 50, 50 or better. You think that they'll cancel that? I would say it's, yeah, more likely that they're going to cancel than not cancel. We should point out to anyone who somehow has missed 
the email from LSAC. If you're registered for the April LSAT, you have until midnight Eastern time, Tuesday, March 31st. That's tomorrow, right? This is airing on the 30th? Yeah. Okay, so that's tomorrow, <laughs> if you're listening to it the day this podcast comes out, to change your test date for free. Um, it's a little strange because LSAC is not making its decision about whether to cancel the April LSAT until April 10th. At least that's what they've said. They said they will give us an update then. But if you're not sure, you could change your test date now for free. Perfect. We are teaching a class together online. Really mm-hmm. looking forward to that. That's April 25th and 26th. You can go to thinkinglsat.com if you want to learn more about that and register. Anything you want to say about that joint class? No, uh, but enrollment in that is up. People seem to be interested in that. In <laughs> People got nothing but time. <laughs> and yeah. their, their live LSAT classes are canceled. Um, you know, We've been hearing for years, people have said, oh, listen to the show, love you guys, you know, you're so helpful, but I live in Omaha, so I can't study with you. Mm-hmm. And then people end up taking a shitty live Kaplan class. Or a university-sponsored class taught by some professor who happens to have a philosophy background. Oh, God. Those are normally the very worst LSAT classes, <laughs> uh, the LSAT class taught by some professor who's like, oh, I took the LSAT once. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great. Great. Good job. Dude, check this out. The other day we went to the, the state park because all the state parks in Virginia are still open and went on a hike. I don't know if that's violating all sorts of rules, but it was very much out in the open and um, there's tons of trails on this this park and there wasn't that many people there. But um, in any case, uh, we pull in and someone's like, oh, your license plate says LSAT. What does that stand for? I was like, <laughs> The law school admission test, and he's like, "That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure." You know, I couldn't believe that someone would have a license plate. With Who that the test fuck on would it. put that on their car? Yeah, and then he started telling me about how he took the LSAT, and I don't know how old he was, but he he's on the older side, and he was talking about cases and how I guess he used to have to you were given cases and then you were deciding like what the outcome should be and then using that precedent to decide other cases. What? I was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but I didn't say that. I just nodded and said, yeah, it sounds like it's changed a little bit. And then he ultimately told me that he decided not to go to law school. And I said, that was a good decision. Nice yep. talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> this was an older gentleman. Cause that sounds like and, a very old version of the LSAT. A very old version. Yeah. Older gentleman. So got it. It was nice. But um, yeah, I didn't know what he was talking about. Got it. So if your uh, live Kaplan class was canceled and they're trying to get you into their shitty online program, this is a real good time to jump ship and come on over and study with us. We, yeah. uh, we are teaching that live class on April 25th and 26th. And uh, I have also moved all my classes now live online. So I'm teaching live online on the weekends. Um, you can go to our websites to learn more about the options you have to study with us, but there's never been a better time to just study with the LSAT demon. I have noticed been a little bit of an uptick in, um, ask button requests Mm, mm -hmm. in the demon, which is fantastic. I put in a real big day of writing yesterday, um, wrote a whole bunch of new explanations and, uh, what are we up to on uh, coverage of the LSAT questions now? Oh yeah. I just emailed 
that the other day. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's eighty four point five percent of the nine thousand some odd questions. <laughs> so that means have we have at least one video or a f- or a written explanation for eighty five percent of all of the LSAT questions that were ever released, and uh, we will be up to a hundred percent on that by the end of the year. For sure, yeah. I expect by the summer. I, yeah. I think that if we keep at the current pace, yeah. we'll we'll be done very soon, and there won't be. And you know, most of those questions are like level one questions that yeah. no one's ever asked about. <laughs> right. And, but we'll still get to them. And from the from the student perspective, um, it it's virtually a hundred percent because all you have to do if you run across a question in the demon that doesn't have one of our explanations, um, all you got to do is just hit ask, and uh, we'll get back to you in a couple days. Right now, because of the higher volume, I'm I'm running a you know couple day uh, backlog, but uh, I'll get I'll get caught up. And uh, I love doing that. By the way, I love I love the idea that when someone hits the ask button. I can write them an explanation. Like I have a student, like one student yeah. to, to respond to, especially if they wrote a good question about what they were confused about. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice little writing prompt for me. Cause I get to, I get, I'm, of course I'm only talking about logical reasoning now, but I get to write a, a, you know, a targeted explanation for that person, put everything, you know, put like a good solid effort into it. And then I know it'll live in the demon forever. So that's, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing with my quarantine time. It's good use, man. Yeah. Okay. June LSAT is still scheduled for Monday, June 8th. Again, email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. Let us know what you're doing in the quarantine. Let us know how you're uh, adjusting to this new life. We'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review if you can on iTunes. Um, Hit the five stars, but also uh, you know, write a couple words about what the show has meant to you, or I don't know, whatever you want to talk about. Um, ready to dive into this uh, pearls versus turds? Yeah, let's do it. Go ahead, dear Nathan and Ben. Praise the demon. Oh, cool. Here is something for the turd pile that I think is a pearl. Interesting. It has really helped me. On comparative reading passages, after reading passage A, I go to the questions that ask stuff like, which one of these do both passages concern? And eliminate everything that does not concern passage A. It narrows down the answer choices to two or three choices, usually, and it prevents you from not getting confused about which answer choices both passages covered. After you read both passages, it can often be hard to remember what was mentioned in only one or both Also, this would be a good opportunity to answer the questions that only concern passage A because there are often trap wrong answer choices that are applicable to passage B but not passage A. The most rogue demon subscriber. This is the sign-off, Darius. Okay, um, hmm. I actually generally do not recommend that students do this. I don't like it either. It came up this weekend while I was teaching and I was just like, nah, I'm not really sure why. Well, so one sentence, Darius, that you have in here is you say, after you read both passages, it can often be hard to remember what was mentioned in only one or both. Yeah, that stuck out to me too. I think you're not doing enough after each passage to get your mind wrapped around what was said. And after you read passage B, or actually really, I would say in practice, it happens as I read passage B, 
I'm thinking about what B is telling me and I'm thinking about how it's the same or different from what I read in passage A. Like I want to be acutely aware of that because the whole point of a comparative reading passage is to test your understanding between the differences. Totally. Of the differences. And sometimes, you know, these passages, the authors can agree, um, they can disagree, they can not really be talking about the exact same thing. Like, they're obviously the topic is going to be similar, but they could be talking about slightly different aspects of the same topic. And so they don't really agree or disagree. Just one person is talking about aspect A and one person is talking about aspect B. <laughs> and so as I'm reading B, I'm trying to figure that out. Like, hey, are you buddy-buddy with this guy? Are you a little bit in disagreement? Are you taking a different perspective but agreeing? I don't know. Those are things that I want to figure out as I'm reading. So when you say you find it hard to remember what was mentioned in only one or both, I'm worried you're just not doing enough work up front. I'm glad that this yeah. is helping you, but I wonder if you could do even better without kind of going back and forth. And this is even harder in the new digital LSAT because you have to click through the questions, you have to cross out answer choices that <laughs> you don't like, and then go back to the questions. Yeah, can I go point out the passage? Yeah, I've got another thing that he said that I don't like. Mm. It, it narrows down the answer choices to two or three choices usually. Mm-hmm. That's not good. That's just not good. Like, I want you predicting the answers. Mm-hmm. I want you to just go into those answer choices knowing what the answer is. People don't realize how predictable the answers are, even on the reading comp. Yeah. It's all their half the questions are just asking you what the main point was anyway. So if you think that this is good, that, you know, you go into the, you skim the questions and you, by the way, you're taking time to do this, right? You're, you were just talking about that, but like it's, there's some cost to Mm -hmm. skipping through the questions to see which ones are only about passage A. But anyway, you find a question that you can clearly see is only about passage A. And then now the big benefit is that you are able to narrow it down to two or three the marginal value of narrowing it down to two or three is not that high. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 <laughs> if you randomly guess, you're going to get it right one out of five times, right? So 0.2 points is your expected value. Mm-hmm. If you narrow it down to three, your expected value is now 0.33 points. Mm. That's a very, that's a fractional, that's a tiny improvement in expectation. Yeah. Even if you narrow it down to two, now you've got a, expectation that you're going to get it right half the time 0.5 points but you were going to get it right one out of five times even if you randomly guessed 0.2 points so it's it's just not it's not as good as people think it is to narrow it down to two or three narrowing it down to three is actually bad (laughs) like i'm not impressed by that at all well it is true that darius has not read passage b yet and i think his idea is that he's going to come in with more information and then be able to narrow it down but to then one. That, well, but that then that defeats the whole purpose of this whole f- plan. I thought that his whole point was, I'm only going to do this for questions that only mention passage A. If he thinks mm-hmm. he's going to then get something out of passage B that's going to help him go back and answer that question that he now narrowed down, mm-hmm. then I don't even know what the hell this is about. Like I don't, I don't even understand the strategy at all at that point. I, you can't answer that question if passage B is required to help you answer the question, then what are you mm-hmm. even looking at that question for? You haven't read passage B yet. 
So uh, I'm going to say that this is a turd. Uh, my vote is turd. I can't imagine ever teaching someone to do this. I think you can do better, Darius, if you try a little bit more up front to get your mind wrapped around the main point of A, yep. passage A, and the main point of passage B. Give yep. it a shot. See how that works for you and see if the clarity um, allows you to go through the questions faster. Yep. You need to read better. I mean, I did a comparative reading passage uh, this weekend in class and I read the first passage. You know, I read it I read it like intense in, in <laughs> I'm, I'm engaging. I'm like really, I'm like fighting with it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking questions as I go. I'm making predictions as I go. I get to the end of it and I've got a very clear idea what the main point is. And I do the same thing with passage B. And then if they say, you know, what was the main point? I I can go, well, the point of passage A was this and the point of passage B was this other thing. And just enough of that, that by itself is enough to predict the answer to half of these questions. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I again, I just really think people need to read more carefully. I think they need to spend a little bit longer reading the passages, yeah, so that they can go a lot faster answering the questions. I'm worried. So Darius says that this has helped him a lot, which you know, scoreboard, right? Like if it's helping you, great. But my fear is that this might be the type of thing that might help you get to 150, but then also prevent you from getting to 160 or help you get to 165, but then, or 160, but then prevent you from getting to 165. It just seems like a gimmicky thing, a bandaid type of a thing that might help you in the short run, but then kind of hurt you in the long run. Yeah. Cause you never practice getting better at reading. Yeah. I want you to dominate this reading comp. I want you to read the passages well enough that you can then go into the questions and breeze through them. I want you predicting the answer for at least half of the questions. I want you to go back to the passage on one or two. And this sounds to me, it sounds like Darius is like going back to the passage for every question. Yeah. Right. Read passage a, go look for the questions that have only to do with passage a narrow it down to two or three, then go back to passage a to find the evidence or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's just, there's no way Darius is doing all four passages if that's the strategy. Yeah. So, sorry, Darius. Thank you for writing in. Um, I'm voting turd on this. Likewise. PhD greater than law school? Question mark. <laughs> no, I think it's a statement. Um, oh, it's a statement. Yep. Okay, got it. Hi, Nathan. I'm a prior tutoring student of yours, long time podcast listener and victim of a personal statement that was ripped apart on the show. My original plan was was law school. A PhD in special education was my backup plan. I scored a 166 on the LSAT and thought my mind was made up. But hearing you talk about the Venn diagram of doing what you love, what makes money, and what you're good at, and hearing the feedback on my personal statement on the show, it started to become obvious that I might be making the wrong decision. So instead of law school, I applied to the PhD program of my choice and got accepted. Additionally, thanks to Ben and your financial guidance, I'm receiving a stipend as a graduate assistant while also going to school for free. No student loans for me. This is a decision two years in the making. I talked to people in the law school, in the education department, professors I trusted, people I trusted, and of course had y'all's guidance before making my decision. 
If I had rushed this process and not talked to anyone and everyone, I think I would have made the wrong choice. Thanks for doing what you guys do. I still listen to your podcast every week, even though my LSAT days are long over. Keep up the great work. Anonymous. Wow. Long over. Yeah, you're on to a whole different career path and you still listen to the show. I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, I'm honored too. I also think it sounds like you made a fantastic decision. I mean, your downside risk is uh, so limited. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can do this PhD program for free with a stipend, take out no loans, and still go to law school six years from now if you decide that it's you know this burning desire that you're not going to feel like you've achieved your life's purpose if you don't do it. It's always still going to be there. You know, the flip of that is not true. That if you went to law school and incurred a shit ton of debt, that's it. (laughs) You know, you're now you're screwed. Now you're not going to go back to that PhD program because you owe too much money from law school. Yeah. I really like that this person did their due diligence, you know, went around and talked to everybody and got everybody's opinions. I think specifically you need to be looking for people who will try to talk you out of it. I agree. I sorry, I'm I'm a little distracted because this this email reminds me of the reviews that we get on iTunes. Most of them are very positive, most of them are funny. Thank you everyone for writing those reviews. It's very helpful. But amongst all these five-star reviews, you also have a few one-star reviews and the theme seems to be pretty common. Like, for example, this one says, the title says it all. Don't allow these clowns to ruin your dreams of law school. <laughs> Look, we, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what people want. Do they, do they want to, to listen into a show that's going to tell you that everything's great. Yes. It's all going to work out. Yes, we they can do. say what the deans say. And you're, you're on the right path. Don't ever question it. Just keep going. Um, I, I mean, maybe that's what they want, and that's what's motivating some of these reviews. But I would, it's just not true. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's not a great decision for a lot of people, and it might be the perfect decision for a bunch of other people. We're just trying to help you figure that out. I don't know what to say. Here's another one. I'm extremely disappointed to hear your podcast saying that people over 40 shouldn't pursue a law degree. That is judgmental and age discrimination. You should retract that statement. Um, look, I'm, I, maybe this is age discrimination, but as you get older, the likelihood of you succeeding in a, by going to law school now goes down. That is a fact. I that I'm sorry. Like, yes, some people because they're older are going to be more likely to succeed. But as we talked about in that episode, like <laughs> chances are you're there because other things haven't worked out and this might be just throwing money at a problem that's not going to be solved by running away from your current problems. Yeah, there's a million reasons why going to law school in your 40s is a bad idea. The return on investment's just not there. You don't have as lo- as much time left in your career for that re- for the ROI to actually be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, wh- what are you going to do go into big law in your 40s and be an associate and work 80 hours a week? I don't one, I just don't think you're going to be able to do that. I don't think you're going to be be able to probably cut that. I also, I mean, you want to talk about age discrimination, pretty sure the firms are going to be discriminating against you. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, is that is that I mean, <laughs> this is where I feel like there's kind of this like gray area. Uh yeah, you could decide not to hire someone because they're older and it's not a rational decision, but like you said, they're worried about their bottom line and their return on investment. You bring someone on board and invest in them and then they leave. It doesn't matter whether they're old or young. Anyone who's likely to leave sooner rather than later is not worth it, you know? So is that age discrimination or just saying, well, we don't want you because you're leaving? That's a very different motivation in my mind. If you want to make the best decision you can, you should be looking for people who have opinions contrary to yours. This is 100% true, by the way. Do you remember that book I talked about? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. The, the one about super forecasters? Mm-hmm. Do I don't know. I, do, I don't remember you talking about that, but go ahead. Oh, anyways, that, that was the, like one of the key points of the book. They're, they did these, this study on people, and they asked them to predict what would happen in certain events, random things. Like they would just take things from the news and say, hey, look, there's a conflict over here in Iran. In the next three weeks, do you expect um, Iran to withdraw its ships from the, uh, you know, whatever the conflict zone or to stick it out or to fire a shot or something like that, right? And they'd ask thousands of people. And there were these people who would consistently perform better at predicting what would happen than other people. And they're like, and it was much greater than 50%. I think it was like around like 85% accuracy or something crazy. And they're like, okay, so this is better than chance. And so then they had to do the study again because they wanted to know if it's just like chance that a certain segment got lucky, right? So, and then these same people performed well again and they looked into what they did differently. And one of the things that they did differently is that they deliberately and consistently sought out opposing views from their own. And it helped moderate their ability to predict the future. <laughs> if all you do is talk to your other pre-law, you know, cohort and your and and the law schools themselves, then all you're going to hear is people pumping up the idea of how great law school is. Yeah, but I mean, it's not opinion; it's fact that law school is not the right choice for most people. Yeah, law school is not the right choice for most people who go to law school. Most people who go to law school don't end up practicing law, like half, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's <laughs> that's for people who are already there, even paying the tuition. So when I talk to you know random pre-law student, random person showing up on the first day of LSAT class, I know from experience that it's not the right fit for over half of those people. And I'm I'll do everything I can to help you get there if it is the right choice for you and I'll do everything I can to help you make the right decision about your career but that means I'm going to tell you the truth about law school and what I think about it and yeah. so and we're going to keep doing that on the show so if you want to give us the one star and unsubscribe that's great but <laughs> I don't we're all we're doing is trying to help you as much as we can um thank you anonymous I'm glad we talked to you out of law school it sounds like you're full ride with plus stipend for a PhD are a very good decision. Yeah. Uh, you got this next one. Yep. Okay. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Thanks so much for providing a valuable and free resource for law school applicants through your podcast. A lot of people say that your score on the official test could be 
plus or minus three points from your PT, practice test average. From my experience with previous official LSATs, this seems pretty accurate. However, I was wondering if this range applies to accommodated tests. I was recently approved for accommodations, time and a half, and my practice test score range seems much smaller than that of my non-accommodated practice tests. My thought is that since the timing of the accommodated test doesn't put as much pressure on the test taker, there won't be as big of a discrepancy between practice test average and official test score. However, I obviously won't know if this is true until I take the official accommodated <laughs> test. Let me know your thoughts. Thank you, Jay. This is frustrating. Um, <laughs> Thank you for your stats email. Stats debating. <laughs> yes, it's stats debating. It's also stats debating without like really understanding stats. Uh, the you have a plus or minus of probably more than three points. Five. Maybe. Yeah, I I always say plus or minus five, and that's not just on your official test. That's on every test. That's on you have. You're going to be going plus or minus five on every test. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have plus five on one test and minus five the next test. It means that you're going to always be scoring within a range. Even if you score the exact same score every single time, you're still scoring within a plus or minus five range without even knowing it. It's, it's totally possible that you can get the middle of your range five times in a row. The one data point, you know, this person says, I obviously won't know if this is true until I take the official accommodated test. <laughs> That's not going to tell you anything. That's one data yeah. point. Yeah. And that doesn't tell you anything about your range. Your range is determined by, you know, all of your scores, or maybe we can learn something useful about the range. If we look at the last 10 scores. Yeah. But you don't, the one data point doesn't tell you anything at all. So what I say is you just, people need to realize what's happening. They just, they, they get, I think it's because they didn't study enough statistics or whatever in, in college that they just don't understand randomness, but yeah. the, it, it, whether you like it or not, whether you believe me or not, it's true that you're scoring within a range and that the, the one or two or three or five data points just don't tell you as much as you think. As far as this speculation about the accommodated tests having a, a, a narrower range, mm -hmm. I could see that being true just because the test is ridiculously easy with accommodations. Yeah, as you start to get closer to the top of the test score band, so to speak, you start running out of potential swings up right yeah. you start bumping up there so then that actually puts a cap yeah. <laughs> on your range and you may actually squeeze up against that and narrow the swing sure yeah uh, otherwise if if that's not what's going on here like if this is an, an accommodated student who's scoring you know 155 mm -hmm. that's not up against the top of the range in that case i my hypothesis is just that you're making that conclusion based on limited data Yep, you, I agree. You've that you've taken three tests or five tests accommodated, and you're you're looking. Oh, the the range for these is narrower, and it's just you don't have enough data to make that conclusion. We we just don't have enough data. You can't make any conclusion whatsoever <laughs> off of that limited data set. Yeah, I mean, one way to think about this is if you were given a, you know, a multiplication test. <laughs> 
dealing with single digits. What's one times three? What's two times four? You'd probably consistently ace that test because you're doing so much better on it. It's so much easier for you. So the volatility goes away as you get better. And that's true for test takers uh, all over the place, but also with the LSAT. So the accommodated test makes it easier. And that's why your volatility goes down. But not until, yeah, like Nathan's saying, until you get up higher. Yeah, most top students, a student who can score 170 in 35 minutes, if you give them 53 instead, they should be scoring 175 plus every time. Yeah. Like there's no excuse for missing a question on the logic games ever. I can't imagine that you're going to miss more than one or two reading comp, one or two LR, 175 every time. So that certainly will have a narrower range. But otherwise, I don't, I don't know. I just, it, yeah, I think Ben said it. <laughs> it's <tats-turbating. laughs> That's basically what it is. Yep. Thanks for the email. Uh, we do appreciate it. Um, I, I, my, I really think you're probably just trying to draw conclusions from limited data. What's the motivation here? I think because people do this all the time. It's to anticipate what's going to happen and therefore feel more at ease. Whereas really, this effort should ideally be redirected toward learning from your mistakes, regardless of what your score is, up or down. Yeah, I mean, and and it's human nature. I get it. Mm-hmm. it. That's that's what people do. Again, people do that when they're on wait lists, right? They're just like they want to speculate about what their chances yeah. are, or what, even yeah. before they apply, they want to speculate about what their chances are. And it's like we don't know. <laughs> you're one data point. You're one applicant out of thousands, and there's going to be some randomness. We we see weird shit all the time, where people get into. You know, my famous example, or the for, famous for me, is that you know the student who called me in tears because they got denied by Berkeley, and then mm-hmm. that same day called me elated because they had been admitted to Harvard, and that shouldn't happen, but it does happen. So yeah. <laughs> that's just there's a lot of randomness in the process. Yeah, I feel like I never stop saying that, and I also feel like no one's ever satisfied by that, but mm-hmm. that's the truth. Um, next one. Yeah. LSAT and anxiety. It says, how can I best relieve test day anxiety? While my diagnostics were real LSATs, I took them in my room. I'm afraid that the pressure of test day will make it harder for me to comprehend the information on the screen. I have a tendency to overthink everything. So how can I ensure that I only focus on the test when it matters most? Thanks. M. Is this person alluding to the fact that they didn't take it digitally at home? Mm, I don't. I didn't read it that way. I just think that they're they're comfortable at home in their room, whether they're taking mm. it on paper or taking it on the demon. I, I get it that that people think. You know, this is by the way. This this makes me go back to the just the previous the previous email. You know. People, a lot of people say that your score on the official test could be plus or minus three points from your practice test average. Mm-hmm. People have this myth about the official test as if the official test is different from any practice test. Yeah. I think that, you know, maybe one thing that might help M is to remember that those diagnostics that you took are actual LSAT tests, or at least they should be. Yep. Thousands of people sat down to take them just like you're about to do. 
Yeah, it's just another practice test. I mean, literally, the test in June, that's a release test, right, Ben? June, is that the next released mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. And that yep. will be literally prep test 90 for the remainder of our careers. So if you just at home in your room did prep test 88 and prep test 89, on the June test, you're going to go in and you're going to take prep test 90. And yeah, you're not going to be in your room. You're going to be in some big, whatever, hotel conference room or classroom on campus. But the content of the test isn't changing. It's just, it's just another practice test. Some students will get a lot of benefit out of remembering that. I just, you know, that that's, that's really the attitude that I'm going for. When you go into the test, it's not, it's not, oh my God, this is the day. I want the exact opposite of that. I want, yep, just another practice test. Yeah. And prep test 91 will be coming right around the corner. So if you fuck up prep test 90, it's not a big deal. Who cares? It's just another practice test. You'll learn from it and you'll move on, take it again. Law schools only care about your highest score. So I do think that that, if that, if you can like beat that mindset into your head, I think you could potentially do a lot better. Yeah. Uh, one thing you could do is you, you talked about meditating earlier, right? Totally. So that's what I was going to go back to. Yes. Oh yeah. Some practice meditating. And I would say as part of that meditation, close your eyes and try to imagine yourself going to take the test officially. Try to recreate that environment as much as possible to try to trigger those anxious feelings to the point where you realize there's no need to feel them. Like you're like, okay, I'm walking into the room. Is it a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. But try to act it out. To yeah, see you're, if you can. Yeah, and maybe face it, right? And maybe maybe like drill that in that. Yes, you are walking into the room to do what? To take a practice test. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fucking practice test. Pitch for the demon. By the way, we do proctored. We do live online proctored practice tests all the time. Yeah. If you're a demon subscriber, you're going to get invited to those live online proctored practice tests and just remember, okay, this is a practice test and then on your official test, this is also a practice test. And just try to make everything the same as much as you can. Yeah. And hopefully that can alleviate some anxiety. Good luck. You want to take this next one? Sure. I had to cancel my demon subscription because the bar I work at is closing due to coronavirus. What do you think I should do to keep my score up until this thing blows over? If it does. I have a 170 right now, thanks to all the logic games drilling I did on the demon, and I was planning on taking the LSAT in June. Wow, that sucks. That sucks to lose your job. Yeah, it really sucks, and and we feel you. And we appreciate you writing in. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so you want to take the test in June. <laughs> I guess um, we give him a month of the demon for free to at least continue this. Yeah, whoever this is, thank you for writing in. Um, please write the show again. Help at thinkinglsat.com. Tell, tell Annalisa that, that we read your email on episode whatever this is 239 and that that the boys said that they'd give you a free month we'll we'll hook you up for a month i know it's not a lot but keep you going at least for the time being yeah 
What else could people do? Do real tests. You know, uh, <laughs> your friends have all the tests. You can get those tests. Uh, you know, they're, they're out there. There's books of tests you can get from people. Probably other people have all the PDFs. I guess we can't legally condone that or whatever, but I just, it seems so silly the way that LSAC zealously guards their intellectual property. <laughs> I can't believe that they charge for the tests. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Do tests, get tests, do the tests. And that's 95% of everything you need to do anyway. Yeah, you could go to familiarize.lsac.org. Is that still up? I think that is. It might be familiar.lsac.org. Oh, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, me too. It's still horrible. <laughs> yeah. Familiar.lsac.org does have a couple practice tests that you can do for free like via, or, you know, whatever. Khan Academy has some free stuff that the LSAC Yeah, Khan Academy has some stuff too. Let them oh, have. Oh, so that but, link is no longer working. Um, just lsac.org and look on, click on LSAT prep. They have some free resources. The con stuff's not that good. Like the instruction, you can ignore the instruction, just do the questions. Yeah. But yeah, if you go to the link, it'll still pop you to LSAC's current official prep, which is free. Um, and then their prep plus, which is $99. Um, that does not include any explanations, but it does have games. So you could keep doing that. Cool. Good luck. Um, Rankings questions. Okay, so here's these two questions about Georgetown. First one says, I'll just read both of them and then we'll talk about the two of them together. Sound good? Yeah, yeah. How much will the quality slash ranking of my undergraduate school help me with admissions? Does someone from Georgetown have a better chance of getting into a law school than someone from American? Okay, so those are schools in your backyard, Ben. Hopefully you'll be able to comment on those. Next question says, Ben and Nathan, I've been accepted to both Georgetown and UVA with significant scholarships from both schools that are equal in value. Wow, that's a couple damn good offers. I'm leaning leaning towards G-Town because of location, but have read it's foolish to turn down UVA as it's ranked higher than G-Town. Is difference in ranking within the top 14 really that significant? I'm a longtime listener of your podcast. Thanks for all the advice and clarity you provide. Thanks for your time and hope you're staying well. Brennan. Thanks, Brennan. So first question. Um, yeah, your undergraduate school ranking does matter. It affects how they look at your GPA. If you have a GPA from a lower ranked school, not it's not so much about ranking. It has to do with the competitiveness and that's associated with ranking. Um, I would say Georgetown is much more competitive than American. And so, you know, a 3.5 from Georgetown is going to be weighted more than maybe even a 3.7 at American. I have no idea, but yes, that is taken into account it, it's, for sure. It's taken into account, but I just don't think it's the first thing they're thinking about. Like, I don't think that goes into their index calculation. So I was under the impression that they adjusted GPAs based on your undergraduate school and Oh, major. Okay. And so then that did affect your index. It's not going to affect it that much. I'd rather you get a great GPA from a lower ranked school, but it's still a factor, I think. Yeah. So kick ass no matter where you go. I mean, bad (laughs) grades are not good. Lawyers are the type of people who get straight A's. So you need to just get straight A's no matter where you go. But, um, 
I want to read more. I want to know more about this. Like if it is true that law schools are actually like multiplying your undergraduate GPA by some factor to, to, to adjust for school difficulty, like before putting it into their index calculation, Mm -hmm. I would love to know about that. So please email the show. If you know about that, please, please help us um, educate ourselves and educate the audience. Uh, Help at thinkinglz.com. Let us know what you know about how law schools adjust based on um, difficulty of undergraduate institution. I always thought that it was the kind of thing that they would look at it if you were on the bubble. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. they were like, you know, systematically taking that into account. So I feel like I've heard that a couple times. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, I was under the impression that they take that into account as well as your major in that it's not just like soft as you're saying that there's it's more of a like a matrix and each school has their own little matrix okay well I mean, they are getting applicants every year from these same schools so probably someone did sit down and yeah, say hey sure sure mm-hmm. okay so yeah so let's let's just learn a little bit more about that um i would I'm, I'm used to randomly speculating but we can actually get a little bit closer to the truth there with some research what do you think about this next question yeah, so the question is is there is there a difference in ranking within the T14 and does is it significant really I guess is the question. You know, you said that you you've gotten significant scholarships from both Georgetown and UVA and that they are equal in value. If that's true, I don't know. I don't value Georgetown's location uh that much. I I would say it's it's worth going to UVA, which is in the top seven or something like that over Georgetown, if you can go there for the same price. And heck, I think UVA is in a beautiful town away from the city. So, hmm. Yeah, it depends on what kind of a lifestyle you want. I mean, this is, you got two really great options there. I mean, everything yeah. is going to work out just fine for you <laughs> one way or the other. So mm-hmm. where do you want to live? Do you want to live, you know, in DC or do you want to live uh, out in the sticks? You know, I guess uh, the flip side of this is if you do decide to go to Georgetown, you're probably slightly more likely to do better. And so, you know, that could, that could be worth it in the long run. Slight. Get a better GPA. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be yeah. a pretty slight effect. I would think, I mean, it's not like there's a bunch of, you know, schlubs going to Georgetown. <laughs> like the bottom well, of the so class at I, Georgetown is not dumb. The stratification, though, does happen, and I think it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. Now I'm thinking about Berkeley. I think Berkeley and Georgetown are roughly like similar law schools. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when working in legal writing consulting, you know, we went to different firms and different firms are all stratified <laughs> based on you know, they don't have ranking yeah. so to speak, but they're certainly, you know, higher tier firms and those higher tier firms tend to hire from you know, you have firms that hire only from Harvard and then you have firms that only hire from the top 3 and the top 10 and the top 14 and so forth. And you did see a difference in how quickly they picked up on the material, how much they appreciated the material. I mean, it's interesting. You talk about legal writing and the lower ranked firm you go to, so to speak, it's like the less they're kind of understand the importance of 
these nuances that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you are getting them wrong and you don't care about them. Well, I guess there's an association there. But anyways, there was, you could see it. I don't know how to describe it other than classes moved faster, people picked up on these things quicker. Yeah. So I, I wonder if, it's not much, but I could see UVA be, being slightly more competitive because a larger yeah. percentage of the class is scoring higher and I'm com- I'm coming. I'm coming around to your point of view. The more I think about Stanford and Berkeley, the difference between those two. Like if you, if you were choosing a full ride at Stanford versus a full ride at Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, I would... I would definitely, in that case, take the Stanford offer. Um, I would rather live, I think, in Palo Alto probably than in Berkeley. And but that's not even the reason why. The reason why is because Stanford just is. <laughs> there are options. I think there are off- there are things that you can do with a Stanford degree that you can't do with a Berkeley degree. I also would anticipate that the competition at Stanford is going to be much steeper. It's going to be yeah. way harder to compete against those the Stanford law students than the Berkeley law students. Berkeley law students are not dumb, uh, but Stanford law students are like <sighs> frighteningly talented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know anything about UVA really, but maybe you've seen that a little bit, Ben, where like Georgetown students are awesome, and then the UVA students are the ones where you you're like intimidated. By them, you're like, oh shit, yeah, (laughs) this is like you know, different, special, different, yeah, and that may you know entice you to go to UVA, or maybe you decide, oh, I want to go to Georgetown and dominate there because Georgetown and UVA are closer in ranking. So, you know, if you can pull up your GPA at Georgetown, maybe it's worth it. And it sounds like you kind of want to go to DC anyway. So (laughs) I don't know. Um, well, if you, but, if you want to live and work in DC, then, I mean, there's a lot of reasons just to go to Georgetown cause you're going to be working yeah. on your network, mm-hmm. you know, in the city. Yeah. I think, I think this decision should be basically, I don't think the rankings should really come into play at all for Brennan. I think that, I think it should be much more about what you want to do after law school and what kind of a life you want to have for the next few years while you're in law school. Yeah. And do you want to be in the idyllic, you know, countryside type of a deal or do you want to be in the hustle and bustle? That's that's not not a factor, right? I mean, people need to take that into account. It's going to be your happiness and quality of life for three years as well as a network that you're going to build in a place. Mm-hmm. Like a life that you're mm-hmm. going to make for yourself in a place. So you don't have to stay there after law school, but so many people do. So I, I don't yeah. know. I think ge- that's a perfect opportunity there for geography to be a factor. Yeah. But good job getting those competing offers. That's awesome. You're in a, you got a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got another email here about the recession. Hi, Ben and Nathan. With the current state of the economy, I wanted to get your opinion on how a potential recession may affect employment prospects for law students. What do you think about that construction, that sentence? (laughs) With the current state of the economy, I wanted to get your opinion on how a potential recession may affect employment prospects for law school students. It's wordy. Well, I, I cringe at I don't think people should be starting very many sentences with the word with. Sure. It's, it's like necessarily 
you're not starting the sentence with your subject. Yeah. It's this like preamble. And I, it's just not a great, (laughs) we see these in personal statements all the time and it's like a consistently bad construction. What is that with the current state of the economy? I don't know. It's just not, I don't like it. Yeah. You could just jump in and say, Hey, how do you think the potential recession may affect law students job prospects? Yeah. We, we get that you're talking about the current state of the economy if you're asking mm-hmm. for our opinion on how a potential recession may affect employment prospects for law school students. So can't we just cut those first four words mm-hmm. or sorry, first seven words. And then I wanted to get your opinion. Just ask the opinion. Just ask for it. So this could okay. say instead, how might a potential recession affect employment process for prospects for law school students? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's some unsolicited writing tips for you, Eric. I'm sure you appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric says, firstly, hmm, I'd probably say first here mm-hmm. too, but firstly, do you think that people should hold off going to law school right now, given the potential for a recession? Um, yeah, I th- think you should think about it, because uh, especially if you're taking on debt and then you're going to walk out of some, you know, three-year program with some debt and a possibility of not getting a job, I would think twice about it. I mean, geez, we say it all the time and I know it's probably too repetitive at this point, but that's why we say don't pay for law school. It just dramatically increases your upside or at least, I mean, decreases your downside risk. Secondly, if there is a recession would you advise students to attend a top school and take on debt or a lower ranked school with little or no debt? For example, if there is an impending recession, would you go to a T14 at Sticker or a place like Fordham, which has some of the best big law placement outside of the T14 with a three quarters scholarship? Thoughts? If that's all the information I have, Fordham at one quarter or T14 at full price. It depends which T14s we're talking about. If it's Harvard, Stanford, Yale, that's like a different thing. It is a different thing, and they're not going to be affected by the recession in the same way. People are still going to be picking them off. The top always, <laughs> there's always work. Yeah, if it if it's NYU versus Fordham, I, that's, I would be leaning Fordham. I just, I really believe in don't pay for law school. So and that's regardless of whether the economy is booming or whether there's a recession. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's the recession is definitely something that you should be worried about. I was in law school during a recession and we graduated into a God awful job market. <laughs> all the law firms were laying off all of their associates while my cohort was graduating from law school. And they're just, you know, they're, there weren't jobs for the average law school graduate, but there still were always jobs for the, the premium students. And that was at a mediocre school like Hastings. Hastings and Fordham are roughly the same, but there were plenty of people in my cohort, even coming out of the terrible recession, there were plenty of people who went straight into big law. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I think it's more about who you are, Eric, and less about the school. If you go to Fordham and finish at the top of your class, you're going to be fine. 
If you go to top 14 and finish at the bottom of your class, you might not be fine. You know, the last person in the class at NYU, I bet they struggle. Yeah. The money in your pocket is the, is just so, so important. (laughs) Not, Not borrowing life changing amounts of money is so important. Yeah. You want to continue with the, the rest of the email? I know you say don't pay for law school, but if the number of jobs available to new graduates should shrink, it seems that graduates of lower-ranked, less prestigious schools would suffer first. I'm unsure whether it would be better to be employed with a large amount of debt or unemployed, having wasted three years on a useless degree with no with less or no debt. I mean, I I, I agree with this general sentiment, but... I, it depends on what schools you're looking at. I mean, if you're going to free for free to some, not Fordham, but something even lower ranked than that, it might be worthless. It's, it's a false dichotomy too, because Eric is ignoring the very real possibility of the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not employed with a large amount of debt versus unemployed with debt. Mm-hmm. What about unemployed with debt yeah and you can only open up the door to the possibility of unemployed with debt if you take on the debt so you know it's eric that that those the odds of that are not zero and the odds of that increase in a recession not decrease so you know you're right that the lower ranked law school graduates get hit first but at the same time, the mediocre students at the top 14 schools get hurt. Yeah. You know, if you, if you do just okay at NYU, but you owe a quarter of a million dollars, I don't think you're going to be very happy graduating into a recession. Yeah. You know, and (laughs) he's acting as if, the T14 guarantees you a well-paying job and Fordham doesn't. But, you know, he, he acknowledges that it has good big law placement. And if, if you're going to be getting a scholarship, I just think your risk is <laughs> so... It's just such a safer route. Yeah. So my advice in, in a looming recession, I, I think that the recession, if anything, makes me more likely to say don't pay for law school. Like people that Mm -hmm. when, you know, we've yelled about this a lot, but people like walking away from a well-paying job in order to go to law school, a recession is a real bad time to be doing that. I agree. If you still have a job, you know, if you have a recession proof job and you were thinking of leaving it to go to law school, the recession is the worst time to do that. Yeah. So, um, I would, I think you got to tighten your belt in a recession. I think you, I think you, this is not the time to be borrowing money. I think it's the time to make money if you can and definitely don't be putting yourself in hock for a degree that it just, it has questionable value for everybody. We don't know how you're going to feel about the practice of law three years from now. You could decide not to practice law for a million reasons. And if you do that with no debt, it's a much better decision than doing that with debt. Yeah. Anyway, last one. Yeah. Hey, thinking else at crew. 
Nathan joked in episode 235 that if LSAC blows up the LSAT, they'd be forced into retirement. They being me and Ben. That got me thinking, what would Ben and Nathan do if they weren't teaching the LSAT? Love the demon and the podcast. I'm truly addicted to both and love drilling logical reasoning so much. I might do them forever like my grandma does crossword puzzles. Thanks, Trent. Cool, man. This is a good one to end on. Yeah. um, I think I'd go into writing something. Like, I know it's weird, but most authors don't make it. But it's something I could see myself doing. What would you write? You know, that's an interesting question, but I think I'd write a book for my kids. Wow. Uh, like what age would you be sh- shooting for? You've got a, I think you've got a range. A book that would be, yeah, so the kids would probably be a little older, like they'd be, you know, middle school, high school, but it would be geared towards like my younger kids who are in elementary school. So, you know, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for example, was written by C.S. Lewis for his grandkids, I think. That kind of thing. Let's write a a fiction book about something. I don't know. Ben Olsen writing young adult fiction. Yeah. Like our kids fiction. I never would have yeah. imagined in a million years that you would have said you want to write fiction, Ben. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um but I like, so here's where this comes from. I read to them, you know, uh, most nights. Uh, sometimes it's too late, and I'm like, get in bed. You don't have time for this. But um, they always want to hear stories. And it's it's fun to read stories that other people have written. It's also fun just to make them up. They seem to find them interesting from every different angle. So I don't know. I think if I was writing to them, it would be fun and fulfilling and hopefully maybe other people would like it as well. That's awesome. Wow. I, uh, I think I would probably be a writer as well. Um, I'm not exactly sure what I would write, but I enjoy writing a lot and I have put in a goddamn lot of reps. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) I can feel the muscle growing. Mm -hmm. The more I write, the better I get at writing. And so, yeah, if I couldn't be an LSAT teacher anymore, I would probably write, I don't think I would write fiction though. I think I would write nonfiction and I think I would write, um, maybe essays like kind of like a David Sedaris type of thing, like a Hmm. nonfiction, um, magazine essay kind of thing, like sort of memoir ish, just life, just the stories, stories from life. I think that's what I would do. Cool. Should we retire? We're done. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Trent. <laughs> yeah. You can join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook if you need some uh, interaction with humans. Um, we are at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter and all sorts of social media. Um, I use Twitter a bit. I'm at Infox on Twitter. Ben uses Instagram a bit. He's at Innovator Ben on Instagram. You can visit strategyprep.com and foxlsat.com to learn about our individual services. Uh, but really, what you should do is visit lsatdemon.com. It's our joint LSAT class. It's awesome. It's everything you need for LSAT prep. 
And there's all sorts of live online components to that. So if you're looking for an LSAT class and we're in these uncertain times where, you know, the live options are now closed to you, by the way, most of you, the live options that were open to you sucked. So <laughs> it's good. So that they those weren't are, really open. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were open, but they were going to just waste your time and money. And yeah. instead you can study with us in the demon. I mean, if you've listened this far, you trust us to some extent and we would not tell you to do the demon if we didn't believe it was the best thing you could possibly do. So join the demon and, you know, be one of these people who have multiple full rides to law schools. We'd love to have you. There's a seven day free trial lsatdemon.com. If you haven't given it a shot, now is exactly the time to do it. You can listen to the show all sorts of ways, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Thinking LSAT. If you appreciate the show, if you want to you know, help to spread the word, all you got to do is tell one person, just find one friend and say, <laughs> hey, you, got, you should be so listening I'm, to this. Yes. I'm laughing because it's like the coronavirus. You just have to find one person. <laughs> you got to infect keep- one person <laughs> and we can take over. Yeah. Um, all right, that was episode 239 of the Thinking Else Podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>